Hello and welcome to the Activist Podcast, brought to you by Vegan FTA, vegan for the animals. I'm your host, Gareth Skur, and I'll also be joined by my wonderful co-host and wife, Jackie Norman. In this episode, we have the award-winning activist, Sandra Kyle. Holding a vigil for the animals at least once a week, rain or shine, and often alone, Sandra is an incredible advocate. Also known as the singing vegan, Sandra has found her own way of bringing a small amount of comfort to the animals she bears witness to. With millions of animals being killed every day, it is Sandra's goal to see an end to animal slaughter and closing of all slaughterhouses by 2025. Join us as we talk with Sandra and learn what it's like to be there for the animals day in, day out. Be sure to check us out on our social media pages at VeganFTA on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube where you can also find this series in video format. It is such an honour to have you with us here today, Sandra, and introduce you properly to the rest of the world as New Zealand's favourite animal rights and liberation activist. To start our interview, we would love to know what it was that brought you to veganism in the first place. As a lifelong animal lover, was there a specific sort of catalyst that sparked this philosophical belief for you? Um. I uh, thank you very much, Jackie and Gareth, for having me on. It, it's it's an honour, and um, I, as far as your question goes, I became vegetarian uh, when I was at university. So that's around about fifty years ago now, and it was um, an ethical choice. I uh, hated the idea of animals having to die for my food, but for some reason, I, I didn't join the dots. I, I didn't know about dairying. Uh, it didn't occur to me that a cow would have to be pregnant to make milk. Uh, and I had no idea about bobby calves. So I was a vegetarian for decades. And it was only uh, 10 or 11 years ago when I went to a SAFE conference um, the last presentation of the morning was on dairying, and I found out the truth about uh, insemination and uh, bobby calves, and it was like a sledgehammer. I had honestly never thought about it, and when the lights came up at the end of the session, I um, was in a daze. And I sat there for a while, and then I walked out to where everyone was having food, but I didn't stay for lunch. I went for a walk around the, um, the area where the conference was being held for about half an hour. And by the time I took my seat again uh, for the afternoon session, I was vegan. <laughs> Mm. And and I've been uh, vegan since then. Yeah. It's um it's amazing just how much of an impact it makes learning about dairy for so many people. And we always sort of say it's one of the worst parts about the animal agriculture industry because it's not it's not as plain and simple as raising and slaughtering. It's a case of raising, torturing before slaughter. You know, and it's just such a barbaric. Uh, practice and it's so hard to see that because it's so well masked in everything in our daily culture you know we're always told like how happy cows happy cows <laughs> how wholesome you know you gotta have your milk for strong bones and all that other um cow effluent <laughs> to put it politely <laughs> um but we understand it that it was when you were living in the waikato an area famously known for its animal agriculture that you began attending vigils this has become your predominant form of activism but prior to vigils had you been part of any other kinds of advocacy actions or were you, vigils your initial uh, sort of entrance point into the world of activism? Um, since the, the 1990s, I, I had been uh, doing uh, volunteering for SAFE, Save Animals from Exploitation. And uh, they were mainly things like stalls that I'd do of a weekend, hand out leaflets, raise awareness, that sort of thing. Uh, I ended up coordinating uh, safe volunteers in my area for some time. But um, I had done other things. I had um, been part of demonstrations outside of 
uh, factory farms. Uh, I attended uh, and organized demonstrations outside Countdown um, and other supermarkets uh, protesting against caged eggs. So there had been uh, actions before then, but I was a, a lecturer in a university of technology and that took a lot of my time and energy. So it wasn't until I retired at 65, seven and a half years ago, that I was to really able to throw myself in the way that I wanted to into activism. And uh, so I, I did, and I came to live in the Waikato in Hamilton initially, and then I went to live in Otrahonga. But where I was in um, Hamilton, I, um, I joined a group of activists, uh, of local activists, and we were brainstorming one day what we could do. And one of the things that someone suggested was we do slaughterhouse vigils. And as soon as I heard that, it was had a deep resonance with me. Sometimes I think that our future can come back and intersect with the present <laughs> in our lives. And, and this was one of those times. So I knew that I wanted to do this sort of action. And uh, so we started, there were a few of us to begin with and uh, others fell away, they had, full-time jobs, families, more uh, commitments than I did, I think. And uh, so I was able to continue. I, I wanted to continue, um, even though I was by myself. So, so I did for about two years. That's amazing. And, you know, anyone, if, if you've read Sandra's work on, on uh, our website or uh, on our Vegan FTA social media, you'll see that Sandra is a very prolific activist um, and hugely, you know, dedicated to, to your vigils. And thank you so much for that. And among your many talents, you are also the author of a book called Glass Walls. When was it that you wrote that? And what was your plea to the government in it? So Oh wow! Uh, I need to uh, read it. It's it's just a a slim uh, book. I called it Glass Walls after Paul McCartney's famous saying: "If slaughterhouses had glass walls, we'd all be vegetarian." And the plea was uh, for the government to close all slaughterhouses before the year uh, twenty twenty five. Basically, all it is is. Um, a compilation of my posts that I would do after a vigil. Um, so for nearly three years, I just went back when I was compiling the book, I went back and looked through certain of the, of the posts and decided to, to put them in. And there's a lot of photos in it as well of my vigils and vigils of other um, activists in uh, Auckland and other centres. Um, but it, would you like me to read a little bit from it? Sure. Sure, go ahead. I'm sure our listeners would love to have a little excerpt from there. So it, it might just give you an idea. Um, so this was in April 2017. I did the, the uh, vigils every Friday. And um, I would come home of a Friday evening and write them up. So this is just part of one. It's a column and a half. Is that too long? No, go ahead. It's fine. <laughs> be you whatever you want to. <laughs> Today a man got off a bus and started ambling towards the lane. He was about 40 years old and his long hair was in a ponytail. He walked with a pronounced limp. Catching my eye as he passed, he showed no expression except for mild curiosity. What's your job? I called after him silently. Do you herd the animals into the waiting area, keeping an eye out for those who are panicking or showing resistance? 
do you force them down the tunnel leading to the kill floor? Are you the one who shoots them in the head with a stun gun? Or is it your job to hang them upside down on the processing line? If your task is to sever the carotid artery and jugular veins, how do you keep their blood from spilling all over you? Perhaps you're the one who removes the head or the feet or the inner organs, hanging them up on meat hooks or throwing them in an awful pile. Are you the hide remover or does it befall you to sterilize the carcasses and transport them to refrigerators? Perhaps you are in the burning department or the waste products department, or are you a trained butcher and spend the day slicing the flesh according to standard cuts ready for packing and distribution? Are you a packer? Are you a cleaner? Mopping up blood and fecal matter pretty much the whole day long. Do you ever tire of the repetitive nature of your work or is it every day different for you? Every day a new challenge, every day a different animal, hundreds and hundreds of them. Working with knives and saws, being exposed to blood and body waste, do you ever feel when you hop in the shower that it is hard to get yourself clean? Please don't take it personally. I understand you have to earn your living, have a family to support. Maybe you can't get another job. And ultimately, you're no more to blame for this unspeakable horror than the consumer who goes into the supermarket and picks out a tray of meat from the fridge. So, um, possibly hard to listen to and hard to read as well, but of course that's the reality. Thank you for sharing that, and it yeah. really does, you know, I... Your work is I've, so important, like how would we know this stuff otherwise? For what I've seen and read about, you know, what happens in the slaughterhouses when you explain and describe it in such a way and all the different facets that go into it, you know, it really does show the horror because um, as they like to, um, what do they call it? Um, they, they call them the meat works out here instead of a slaughterhouse. And so by doing that, you know, they're trying to take the edge off it, but that's because they don't want to reveal, as you've just revealed, you know, what really goes on inside there and the the true nature of everything. It's just, yeah, it, it's, it's horrible what we do every day to these animals, but luckily we have uh, fantastic activists like yourself, you know, who are out there bringing attention to it and hopefully this won't carry on. But um, in regards to bringing attention to things, for four and a half years, you ran the Safe and Sound radio show alongside fellow Kiwi activist and vegan FTA contributor, Lindley Tullock. This show provided a much needed counter narrative to the usual Kiwi carnist culture. By discussing a large array of animal rights topics, um, sadly, the show is no longer running, but it must have been so thrilling to be bringing that voice for the animals out there, especially in uh, the Waikato region, giving them hell. <laughs> um, what was it like doing this? What was the experience of running that radio show? And also, for any of our activists who might be interested in getting into this form of media, do you have any advice for people wanting to broadcast themselves on radio? Um, so just to, to lead into my answer, when I um, went to live in Hamilton, I still was teaching part-time at the University of Waikato and Wintec and other places. I was teaching English as a second language and also a little bit of French to uh, Japanese students who would come for kind of taster courses to New Zealand. And um, at, at one of the functions, I think it was at Wintec, someone told me that he had his own radio show. And this was at Free FM, which is an access um, community radio station. And the idea sprouted that I could perhaps do um, an animal rights show. I knew that there was not one in New Zealand. So I just walked in one day and, and they didn't have an animal rights show and they were 
very uh, welcoming of the idea. So I, um, they trained me uh, on the in the studio, lots of different knobs that I had to know uh, what to do with. Um, and uh, gave me a manual on presentation techniques, that kind of thing. And I was pretty much underway. I, I asked Lindley to join me because we were friends and also she's so smart and personable and, and, and informed and I knew she'd, she'd be a, a great uh, person to have on board. And then uh, we were also joined by Paul Judge, who's another very good broadcaster. So that was our, our little team. Um, I was there all the time and the others were there sometimes or, or a lot of the time as well. But it was a very interesting experience. Uh, I learned a lot. It took quite a lot out of me. It could be anything from eight to 18 hours a week just preparing for one show. <laughs> um, but I interviewed, we interviewed uh, people like Peter Singer, his book, um, Animal Liberation, really uh, touched my soul and I think and, and uh, marked my future. Uh, I knew when I read that book back in the 70s now that I wanted to make a difference for animals. So there was Peter Singer, Philip Wallen, um, Wayne Chung, James Aspey, Joey Carbstrong, Anita Crines, uh, Mary Finelli, uh, Captain Paul Watson, so many uh, big names in the uh, world of animal rights. So it was, it was a great honor, but um, yeah, it, it, uh, it came to an end finally, it sort of seemed to come to a natural end, but I, I did enjoy it and I got a lot from it. And as far as advice for anyone, <laughs> um, I, I do think that podcasts and radio shows are really good. It's a flexible format. You can be in the garden or in the kitchen or jogging or anything with earphones in your, in your ear and, and you can keep up to date. So, and, or listen to your favorite show. Um, the, the advice that I would have for anyone is that I've, if I can do it, you can do it. <laughs> and, um, and if you have a community radio station nearby, go and, go and ask them. Uh, but these days, I mean, as, as you two know, there's so much you can do from your own living room. You can create podcasts and put them online. And so there are, there are so many options for people who like the idea of this kind of broadcasting uh, and, and want to make a difference this way. Oh, that's awesome. Good on you for, for just bowling on in there as well and asking. I mean, it just goes to show it. You know, if you don't ask, you don't get, and it never hurts to ask. And as well as hosting the radio show, you're also well known, especially over here, for gracing the airwaves with your advocacy as the singing vegan. And we're wondering, where did that come from? Why is it that you sing to the animals? I think it's a lovely idea, but, you know, where did that come from to sing to the animals at your vigils? Um, and how have you seen them respond? Um, I, I never had the idea, oh, uh, it would be nice to sing to the animals, but it, it happened first one day when I was on the motorway and saw a, a truck filled with sheep at the side of the road, and um, the, the driver of the truck had gone off to get more animals, and it was quite a hot day, and they were all packed together, so I I got down, I, I had been doing my vigils at the stage and um, I just was videoing them and talking to them and reaching out and, and patting them. And I suddenly had the idea that I would sing them a mantra. Do you, you know what a mantra is? Yeah. I, um, I, I lived in India and uh, I lived in ashrams, which are spiritual communities. And so I, I knew some mantras. And it just kind of was a, a natural expression, I think, of my compassion for them. And also, hopefully, it would be some comfort 
and um, and a blessing on their souls. So I just started singing um, a mantra to them. And because I was already videoing, the, the song came through in the video and that was shared quite a lot. And that was the first time, but I felt that the animals understood some way my intention, they could feel my compassion for them. And I was hoping that that might be a comfort to them. So I've pretty much done it ever since. Um, in fact, a friend of mine also, she's got a better voice than me actually. Um, she was singing to the cows just this weekend. And when we put it online, um, we had some negative remarks, including this kind of thing uh, is useless for the animals and self-indulgent. So, but I, I, I very much disagree with that. Cows in particular respond to music. There, I think the University of Leicester did a study to show that as, so long as it's sort of gentle and slower music, it definitely does calm cows down and it can um, increase their milk production as well. And <laughs> cynically, farmers can use this to get more milk out of their cows. So it does have an effect, it's not useless. And, um, and I don't think it's self-indulgent either. So would you like me to sing a little something? Yeah, yes, I'd love to hear it. I, I'm, I'm a bit embarrassed because the older I get, my, my voice is deteriorating, gets a bit shaky, and sometimes I just go right under the, the pitch. Um, but it, it will show you the kind of thing. I won't sing a manth mantra. I'll sing... Uh, I do this sometimes. I create alternative words to well-known songs. Um, I recently had a friend staying with me, Rob, who, who does a lot of this, and he does it very well. But I just a couple of days ago, I created different words to Streets of London. Do you know that song? Yes. Okay. Have you seen the mother in the narrow self-crate? Six feet long and only two feet wide. Pale blue eyes reveal her pain. She'll never see her child again. Her whole existence an intolerable strain. So how can you tell me that it's okay? for her to suffer so for you. Let me take you by the hand and lead you through the hell she lives in. I'll show you something to help her you can do. And have you seen the hen who's lying still upon the cage floor? Dirt on her body and open sores. Spent from laying eggs for you, there's nothing further she can do. In a few moments, she will breathe no more. So how can you tell me that it's okay? That she should suffer such a fate. Let me take you by the hand and lead you through the hell she lives in. 
If we go quickly, it may not be too late. Thank you so much. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. But you're the singing vegan. I'm, I think I'm going to start getting a name as a crying vegan doing it. <laughs> you know, that that was lovely. That was. Thank you so much for sharing. And, you know, you, you sing as powerfully as, as you write. And um, I, you know, I've never really thought about the whole singing thing before. But during my years in the industry, um, milking cows, I can totally understand how it would help the animals and it would be effective. You know, they've spent their whole lives having people yell at them. You know, farmers are constantly under pressure. It's go, 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 push, push, push. You're moving too slow all the time. So to have someone, they would have never had that calming voice. And I remember when I was, um, when I used to milk the cows, I would always play happy music. And because I was happy at that time, not knowing any better, um, I would sing away while I was milking the cows and I think if I was happy and relaxed and they were a lot less tense whereas some of the bosses that I worked with they would play heavy metal they play the rock station um they didn't sing you know they just yell <laughs> um and you could tell that the whole atmosphere was different so yeah I would contradict anyone that says that that would not be effective and not be comforting to the cows you know or any of the animals that you sing do. The, the animals do understand, the, the cows know. Um, one of the slaughterhouse workers at a regular slaughterhouse we bear witness at said that when we come and sing to the cows, we're disturbing them. However, when, when Betty was singing the other day, um, Every cow in front of her turned around and looked up at her quietly and calmly. I was standing and looking as well. And when that particular grounds person walked up and down the, 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 the aisles between the pens, all the cows moved away and huddled away from them. They, they, and and th these people treat them indifferently at best and roughly very often. We see uh, drivers with their electric prods to get animals off the, off the truck. Think nothing of them, nothing of jabbing them time and time and time again. So yes, I think animals really can tell the difference between loving, compassionate, caring actions and vibrations and ones that are, are callous and indifferent and cruel, of course. It really does make it even thinking um, in the human animal. You know, I know before this digital age, when we didn't have music we could plug into, you know, people would sing when they they were sad. You know, there's so many times of hardship that we know about where, where there's a lot of music that's been formed from there because it's a way of getting through things. You know, think about the blues movement, um, exactly that. And um, I know for myself, when I was dealing with depression at a young age, I used to go sing Sospan Vach, a uh, Welsh song, uh, down at the beach quite often. Usually it was terrible, but, you know, it made me feel slightly better in that moment. And, you know, I think all animals can pick up on that resonance. And um, there's a lot of uh, physics behind that, that we're all waves of energy. And so, yeah, that, that carries on. It's lovely. Are you Welsh, Gareth? Yeah, I'm originally from Wales, although I don't sound like the Welsh boy who I used to be anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I love that accent. And if you're Welsh, you've probably got a lovely voice. Oh, yeah. But like many Welsh uh, blokes, it takes a few pints usually to unlock that one. And then it comes out in dirty Welsh songs, which uh, do not get I disown him then. I pretend I don't know him. <laughs> <laughs> but um, a point that you touched on earlier was how your activist group there in the Waikato as things started to carry on people got busy their schedules changed you know they didn't have the time for the activism and so it wasn't until for you being retired you know you had the time to throw into it fully and of course um some of these others didn't and so you carried on attending vigils solo which is quite a big thing for a lot of people is doing these sort of actions on your own and when you decided to carry on doing it was there some factors that persuaded you to keep going it alone the greatness of the need, <laughs> the, 
the horror that is with me every day of what we do to our helpless, innocent fellow beings. And we do it with impunity and we do it because it's normal. I have such a, a deep sense of the injustice that is done that to them that doing something for me is much better than doing nothing. So um, I can't do nothing. I couldn't live with myself. Um, there's a, 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 quite, a, quite a quote by Martin Luther King, something like, um, there comes a point when your action is, no, is not political, nor popular, um, nor something else, but you continue to do it because your conscience tells you that it's right. And that's what it is for me. Mm. And also because I, I want to help. I, I want to do everything that I can as an individual to try and change the way things are for animals. Stop the podcast. We'd like to take a moment to give a shout out to one of our partners, Fevers. Fevers is a global leadership community and content hub for vegan, plant-based and plant-powered women committed to lifting each other up. Led by vegan business media's dynamic Katrina Fox, Fevers educates and inspires through online networking, masterclasses, e-courses, meetups and much, much more. Head on over to veganwomensleadershipnetwork.com to learn more. Now back to the podcast. Thank you for being the way you are, I know. And, you know, we, we, we see your visuals, your, your, all of your actions. They're, they're so beautifully documented um, and heartbreaking documented um, on your social media, as, as in your, your Glass Walls book as well. And also on our Vegan FDA platforms, as you're kind enough to let them share us with our followers, share them with our followers, should I say. Um, I think it would be fair to say, though, you know, I think that pretty much every activist here in New Zealand, at least, has wondered at some time or another, with regard to you know the frequency of your vigils and your actions um, and the way that you write about them when you get home, you know, how does she keep going? How how do you keep putting yourself through this? And with all the horror and inhumanity that you witness week in week out, how is it that you take care of yourselves once once you return home from a vigil or or another kind of event? Is there any way that you can find peace, or is is that not possible? Is that what drives you? Um. So it, when, when I'm at a, a vigil, I look into the eyes of the animals and, and um, sometimes I can have a, a feel that there's a real connection with an individual animal. I remember once uh, talking and singing to a, a cow who was at the back of the truck and it took longer for this particular cow to be unloaded. And so we had a contact for about 10 minutes and when the cow got to the top of the ramp and ready to go up down into the yard, he or she stopped and looked straight back at me as if to say, can't you help me? And I can still see that cow today, as well as countless other um, eyes of, of frightened, depressed, confused, hungry, cold, bewildered animals. It's always there. But sometimes, too, um, you, you, you may have seen this also. On social media, we can see some really horrific sites. I don't watch graphic videos intentionally, but sometimes something will pop up in my newsfeed. And once I saw a photo of a, a pig who had been thrown into a scalding tank, fully conscious, and the, the tank is within pig slaughterhouses to clean the skin of the animal uh, once they're, they're no longer conscious, supposed to be. But in slaughterhouses throughout the world, there are a significant, there's a significant um, um, percentage of animals who are not sufficiently stunned or not stunned at all when they undergo uh, 
the, the killing, throat slitting or whatever. This, this animal was fully conscious and in the scalding tank and with the, the steam around the pig was raising. And I have never seen such agony. A, a pig is very expressive. If you look at a pig's eye, it looks like a human eye and their face is actually quite expressive. Now that image is just below my consciousness and if I should get into, uh, it, into a, a shower that's a little bit hot, a bit of hot water splashes on me, I, I scream, I, I yell out, I cry, I wail, because that's what comes to mind immediately. So it has taken a toll of me, on me no doubt um so, but sorry i've been rambling so much i'm trying to get back to your question and your question was how do i take how do i keep doing it take care of myself is that right mm -hmm. yeah um so but i'm fortunate in that i teach music part-time up to about probably 17 18 hours a week to young children and it's very sweet. I don't know if you've ever taught young children. You've obviously been around young children, but I've never had my own children. But um, having contact with them is welcome in my life and, and very uh, a, a lovely counterpoint to the hours that I sit in front of a computer or I'm at a, at a vigil. And um, kind of putting myself through all of the sad things that we voluntarily take on because we want to make a difference. So definitely that helps. The other thing I do, which is a bit crazy, is that I like to watch um, YouTube videos and, and Netflix videos on Mount Everest. <laughs> Anything to do with Mount Everest, you know, expeditions to Everest, and there's, there's a lot of them. And sometimes I've seen them twice, three times, four times, and I watch them again and again. I, I go to bed and um, watch them on my phone, usually. There's something about watching an Everest documentary that somehow calms and comforts me. I don't know anyone who's less sporting than I am. I'm absolutely useless. And, but I think it's partly the, the sheer will, the sheer will that climbers have to use to, to get to the top of Everest. I think above 8,000 meters, you're in a death zone and you're fighting for the, the human body wasn't designed to, to to live at that at that level of, of at height. And um, there's only a third of the amount of oxygen there. And you're, they're fighting every moment for breath. Every time they put a, a, a foot forward, it's, it's agony for them, but they keep doing it one foot after the other, one foot after the other, going on sheer willpower Maybe I, I kind of feel that if they can get to the top of Everest, then if they can show that kind of bravery and courage, then I can for, you know, to help the animals do what, do what I can, find the courage in me to do what I can to, to change the, this terrible situation that they live in especially our farmed animals I'm talking to, but it's about, but it's not only farmed animals. It's, it's just across the board, isn't it? Our assumption that we have more rights than every other living creature on earth, and we can do what we want with them. So, yeah, it, it's a mighty cause, I think, that we're all... Um, uh, involved in, and it does take courage, and it does take tenacity, and um, and a, a clear clear vision about what we want to achieve. Well, that's some fantastic insight, and um, a great way, yeah, a great way to recover from that. And I think um, as when we were talking to the founder of uh, Animal Hero Kids, she was saying about 
how I think every activist, when they've been in it for long enough, has some form of PTSD, you know, because of what we're dealing with all the time. And it is such a, yeah, even for me doing the editing for this series, most recently doing uh, episodes and research, I've had to look through a lot of graphic stuff and some of the things that you've uh, described. And it really does shock you down to the core. But for me, um, I've got something as well that I, I watch a lot of YouTube videos because it makes uh, it, something silly, but it makes me uh, makes me happy and takes my mind, takes me off something else and also gives me drive elsewhere. Sure. Yeah. yeah. We, we need to try to find that balance. Yeah. Um, yeah. I definitely advise to all of our activists out there to make sure that, you know, if you have a hobby, it doesn't matter what it is, you know, um, make sure you pursue it as well, just to make it so that you've got that separation as well. You know, you don't want to be separated from the issue, but you need to separate yourself from constantly having to feel that because the human body is not made to do it. Like, like in the death zone, you know, uh, I, our minds, our bodies are not made for us to focus into this dark place 24-7, um, as noble as it is to sometimes do that. But yeah, thank you for that advice. It's uh, fantastic. Mm -hmm. But for such a gentle and softly spoken lady, you have immense strength and it, it's deceptive, you know, because you're such a strong uh, woman. And how have you learned to conduct yourself best at vigils and protests, particularly when being challenged or confronted by aggressors and we know from some of your um your vigil write-ups and stuff like that that you do get some aggressive folks uh, towards you mm. um well I, I do the vigils as part of the worldwide save movement which i think has about a thousand chapters now worldwide and um it was started by uh the wonderful anita crimes so about 11 years ago now i think um, after uh, an experience she had uh, walking her dog and seeing uh, pigs delivered to Fairman's uh, Hawk, um, a huge slaughterhouse in Toronto. Anyhow, she had the idea of, inspired by Tolstoy, that when we see suffering, we should not look away. On the contrary, come closer and see if we can help. So um, as part of the SAVE movement, I, I've got a, a role as a country liaison here in New Zealand, certain responsibilities involved with that. About a year ago, I was joined by another uh, country liaison. And so the two of us have um, uh, uh, supported also in our roles by the wider SAVE movement. We have weekly fortnightly meetings with the country liaisons in Australia and uh, monthly meetings with country liaisons all over all over the world. Um, the, the SAVE movement has an individual don't, uh, benefactor. Nobody's quite sure who it is. I used to wonder if it was Joaquin Phoenix <laughs> because he's uh, he, he does vigils when he when he can. In, in LA and other places, but nobody really knows. Um, but that means that SAVE make money available. I, I get a, a small amount uh, every three months as, as country liaison. It helps me to support our chapters here in New Zealand. We've got 12, chap uh, sorry, 11 chapters here in New Zealand now um, who do vigils and other actions on behalf of the SAVE movement. So that's, uh, I do feel supported, we feel supported, and we try to sort of grow a, a close and dedicated team. The SAVE movement is love-based, so that means that we, we don't respond in kind. So if we get a, a middle finger by a passing motorist, we don't return it. Um, and uh, in general, we try to... Um, return love for the hate and the regression that and aggression that we get. I'm not always very successful at that, I must admit. Just on the weekend, um, there, there's so many stories that come up all the time when you've been doing this as long as I have. But just on the weekend, a, a driver who was delivering pigs to the one of the slaughterhouses saw me photographing 
And he said, um, stop photographing his truck, you effing slut. And, and then um, I, I continued because I'm in, within my rights to be doing it. So, and this is what we do. We document it and share it on social media. And then he came over to me right into my face and he said, if you don't stop, I'll break your camera. And um, so I, I didn't say anything. And eventually he, uh, I, I did say, please watch your language. And he, he went away finally. I think he knew that he wasn't prepared to step over the line either. But we've had glass thrown at us and meat, pieces of meat thrown at us. Um, someone had a, a, an orange thrown at them and had a big, big, you know, when it's thrown as a missile, it can create quite a thwack and, and they had a big bruise on their shin. Um, but, but yes, I, for me, I, I'm not a person who's easily intimidated um, and I'm not afraid of bullies. Um, but I, I need to make sure that I, I respond as, as I should with understanding and love and not with, um, certainly not with violence or aggression. There's enough violence and aggression in the world as it is. <laughs> I don't want to add any more to that. Can be a very hard thing, as I know. Uh, yes, to I my, was thinking, listening to Sandra. <laughs> when I went and did uh, one of my first protests, which was against live export, um, a ute with two young lads drove past, and they had a dead deer in the back that they had strapped into there, and they were like, "Oh, woohoo!" You know, look at this dead deer in the back. And my, I was trying to be all composed, and my adrenaline kicked in, and then it came out a very loud "f you" and a big old middle Got finger you right from me, up, and, didn't they? and like I didn't even like within a second that had happened because i just you know i hadn't had the practice and the composure not to do that and um that's happened to me that well i don't swear i'm not a person who swears but it's happened that i've uh said some things that i've regretted too we're all human and and in that situation it, it's a very tense situation even after all these years every single time i go to a vigil I'm nervous and I have a sinking feeling because it, it, um, it's quite hard, quite mm. hard to do. And the hardest thing is knowing that you can't help those individual animals. Mm. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, that's the thing. It, these people, you're already in a hard situation when they're antagonizing you. It can be very hard to hold that back and, yeah. um, yeah, you do so well, and yeah, I didn't do so well on that first one, but I'm learning, I'm learning. <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah, I mean, emotions are always running high, aren't they? But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's great to hear as well that although you're alone through, you know, physically through a lot of your events, you know, as part of the, the Animal Save movement, you know, you're not truly alone, at least in what you're doing. And it's great there's such a presence here in New Zealand, which we'll talk a bit more about soon. But um, you've mentioned that you have interviewed one of my heroes, um, Philip Wallen. And in 2018, you received the prestigious Philip Wallen Animal Welfare Award, um, in which you traveled to India for the presentation. Would you mind explaining what that award was for and how it felt to have your, your years of advocacy recognized in, in such an amazing way? I mean, I know that you you never do it for recognition as, as so many activists don't, but I'm, you know, it must have come as quite a surprise, although so well-deserved. How was that for you? Um, it was really was a surprise. When I got the first um, email from India, I thought it was some kind of bizarre joke, so I ignored it. And then um, a few days later, there was a follow-up asking if I'd seen the first email and I was one of those chosen for the Philip Wallen Award and could I send more details about my work and my activism? So I thought, well, maybe there is something in it. And I contacted Philip. I, I interviewed him in my show. So, you know, we, we knew each other, obviously. Uh, and um, I said, is, is this bona fide, this email that I've had? And he confirmed that it was. What it is, he grew up in India, and um, 
he, up until he think is about 18, he lives there. And I've got a connection with India too. I've uh, lived there and been there on six different occasions. So um, he has a friend in India who is the head, was the head of an animal rights uh, organization uh, up near Delhi and contacted Philip and said, I'd like to start an award in your name. Can you please put forward the name of some likely candidates? And my name was one of them that Philip put forward. And I think how I ended up getting it was probably down to my solitary vigils, Yograj, the, the man who was funding it. And there was some, there was cash prize involved with it, plus an all expensive trip paid to India. So it was a considerable amount of money, really. And um, he just kept coming back to the solitary vigils. And he said that was really what made me choose you. But yes, it, it was <laughs> unexpected. But it, it was it was very good. I, I spoke to school groups and universities and colleges um, in the Haryana Delhi area for about two and a half weeks, and um, was interviewed by Radio India. So there was an opportunity for outreach as well. That's awesome. It was, uh, yeah, so exciting. Like, I, I guess for you, you know, going to, to India several times as well, it must have really kind of felt like a, a special place to uh, to receive the award as well. Yes, yes. I, I want to, as soon as COVID is, you know, under control, I it would be my intention to go back to India several months every year, even up to six months, and do outreach there. Uh, one of the people I met when I was there last time was in, uh, Indira Gandhi's um, daughter-in-law, Manika Gandhi, who was Minister uh, for the Environment in the um, Modi government at that time. And she said that if I wanted to come back, I could work in some of her shelters and, and she would sort of help me to find things to do that would be worthwhile. Have you been to India? No, 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 never. I'm sure you two would love it. Honestly, I'm sure. Um, you're so adventurous. <laughs> I'm surprised that you haven't been to India so far. But, um, but it's hard for an animal activist because everywhere, it's, everything's out in the open. You see the, the skinny, mange-ridden, dogs, you know, starving, dying of thirst, dying dead on the roads, the cows walking around with toast rack ribs, um, eating rubbish and plastic and taking it into their bodies and eventually dying from that, getting wandering in front of traffic and, and getting injured. It's... Um, it's all in your face there, and even slaughterhouses are right on, right on the on the roadside. Um, I I lived opposite a chicken slaughterhouse, and and it was just a little kind of tent, and there were um, crates of hens packed into it, and someone would come out of the church that was also nearby, and choose their dinner. Or their lunch, they'd, they'd take a, and the, the slaughterer would take the squawking hen out and put its neck on a board and put his or her neck on a board and, and chop off the head right there in the open. So it's, um, it's really in, in your face. But I feel sometimes I want to do more hands-on work with animals. I want to embrace an animal. I want to do, do, do more of that. When I look at the cows and the sheep and the pigs, I can't embrace them. I often want to. I want to climb over the fence and get down and hug them. Oh, 
be wonderful for you mm. to get to do that as well, especially after so much heartbreak of, of not being able to get hands on with them. I can just see you doing that, and I, I really hope that that, uh, that comes off for you soon. Yeah, it's fantastic you going over there to do that advocacy work. There's there's many places we'd love to go, like especially through a series. We've met so many wonderful people, but we made a commitment a few years back not to fly because the environmental reasons and uh, for us, we'll wait until hopefully they they develop some new fangle dangle transport technology for us one day. Otherwise, we'll we'll be uh, sticking here and <laughs> doing it from <laughs> afar for now. But you know, it's fantastic seeing what you're doing, and it's, it's so wonderful that you can go there and make such a difference with your time. Definitely. But it's so heartwarming as well for us uh, watching your progress over the the local Facebook groups and such, and seeing how you're regularly joined now by other activists um, who travel hours to come join you on your vigils and yeah it's wonderful how are the young uh, activists of the next generation shaping up is the future in good hands yes i think the future is in very good hands um here in wanganui we are a bunch of old ladies um and but there are there are other um activists in new zealand in their older years who are doing really really good work but i think the um the future does lie with the with the younger people, and the, they're smarter, I think, certainly a lot smarter than I was at their age, and and more in tune and more compassionate, more technologically capable. Oh, I just can I introduce you to my little girl, Shishi? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Here you go. Oh, bless. <laughs> this is Gigi, what my is little Ishan. All dressed warm for the winter. <laughs> but, uh, um, yes, the, the, the young people, we, we need more young people, and we need more middle-aged people and older people. We, we need more people to be making the decision to do something, anything, a little a lot to help uh, bring about the you know the end of animal exploitation and cruelty well hopefully all of our activists and advocates who are watching this series and part of the vegan fta community can get out there and uh, help us get more people on board get them to go uh, vegan and then get them to be activists and yeah bring this voice even louder and you know learn from the wisdom of um, of our older activists you know and then these bringing together that wisdom then with the technology of the younger ones you know it, it's fantastic we are on a, a winning ticket i think you know it's just like uh, when we spoke to justin Bach, it's all just about getting it in time with everything you know before everything blows up <laughs> definitely definitely time is of the essence and um, you've got a website as well as a book um and animal slaughter which we'll be sure to provide a link to what made it what made you sorry what made you decide to create that? And what kind of information or resources can people expect to find on there? Um, it's a bit of a sore point with me at the moment, but uh, three years ago when some publicity uh, was in the paper and national papers about me singing to the animals at the slaughterhouse, um, someone contacted me, they were a web designer and they said, I'll, I'll build you a web page for nothing so I took them up on it and um, but I, I asked some other people to come on board with me I was hoping for a lot of um, original material and I knew I couldn't do articles four or five articles a week um, but again everyone's busy and they have their commitments and their other platforms working for animals and so it was pretty much left just to me alone again and to, to keep it going I've been um, looking around for suitable articles that I've recycled with perhaps new photos and an introduction that new introduction that kind of thing but I'd dearly love there to be more original work but Jackie thank you once you said to me that I could probably recycle my own my own blogs into in, into um, articles for this. I never actually thought of doing that, but I, I could probably do that, and there would be more 
original content. But I'm a bit behind with it. I, I don't think I've put anything on it for about uh, a month. However, if anyone listening <laughs> wants to help me with my website or would like to be a regular contributor, and I'm looking at anyone, you too. <laughs> I, I would love that. I really do need to get on top of that one. Be wonderful that yeah would be great well, and you've got some awesome contact um content on there and and absolutely put put your your posts up there you know that's um your facebook post is so beautifully written and so in depth and so powerful you know it, it would be a shame things get lost so quickly on social media you know as you've shown with with um the powerful words that you've had in, in your glass walls book you know if we can document those all together that is really makes for quite some reading and uh, you know it's, it's so educational as well as powerful so yeah definitely definitely thank you for listening to this interview we hope you found it informative and entertaining to learn more about sandra's work check out endanimalslaughter.org once again be sure to follow us on our social media pages for future episodes and if you're enjoying the content please leave a review on your chosen podcast platform. This has been Vegan FTA, vegan for the animals.